I'm Mark and this is Crystal and you're watching Emperor Advocacy Media. This is our Journey Series podcast, season two, episode 41. And uh, today we have, uh, we're hearing again from Lisa Lewis, who spoke to us last time. We didn't really get into her personal journey and story about her and her son. So let's go ahead and do that today. Um, so hi, Lisa. Hi, Mark and Crystal. It's nice to see you again. Let's see you. Um, maybe uh, start off by, I guess, going into the beginning of your journey. I mean, you can go back as far as you want. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll just give a little, in a nutshell, um, you know, my name is Lisa Louie and I uh, my real journey, <laughs> my own journey starts back, you know, I was born and raised in upstate New York in a very rural place. So um, since we come around to the journey, it comes up to where I run a hiking website. The truth is, from my childhood, I really loved being outdoors. And that was a very comforting, um, healing place for me. So I spent my early life in a very outdoorsy place. And I went to college, so that's upstate New York, went to college in Massachusetts. And then I spent a few years living in Japan. So when I moved back to the States, oh, wow. I, yeah, <laughs> it was sort of a big lot of leaps and bounds there, but um, lived in yeah. Japan for several years and uh, married a Japanese man. And we came back and moved, uh, lived here in San Francisco for many years now. But um, by profession, I am a Japanese technical translator. I translate patents for a living. Um, which, you know, one of the weird things that falls in your journey, you don't expect, but that's what I ended up doing to earn a living. Um, but my, so that's what I do by profession, but I'm also a mom of two sons in their twenties, uh, an older son who, uh, does just fine in the world and works and lives in London now, which is very exciting. But our younger son, uh, ended up being challenged very severely by, autism. So that's where another big part of my journey and my son's, my, our family's journey uh, fell into a certain path because of my son's challenges with autism, which is why we're here today. Um, but the, uh, so my, not the profession, but my labor of love part of my life is uh, trying to give something back to the community through my website, hikingautism.com to encourage people to go out in nature and find some peace and calm for their sensory systems. So the reason it came around to that is that, um, you know, many people know someone with autism, maybe it's their grandchild or their own child or their niece or nephew or a friend or a neighbor's kid. So it's become more common for people to be familiar with people on the autism spectrum. And it's in the news a lot. And there's a lot of things that change about the attitudes about it of how much it's spread. But in any case, um, for my family, it was our son was born in 1997. And by the time he was three, the big thing we noticed for him was that he wasn't speaking at age three. And that concerned us. So for, oh, you know, we're having a lack of communication. So the speech thing was a big clue for us. And at that time, you know, Google and the internet were not easily accessible. Uh, Google didn't come into existence till like 1988 or 1999. So for parents and families at that time, we didn't have a lot of easily accessible 
uh, information about autism. So parents mm-hmm. at that era, up until around, you know, diagnoses around 2000, we didn't have a lot of information available. So it was very confusing and hard to grasp what our options were, what might be going on with our kids. But I just want to say, even now for parents that have all the information on the internet at their fingertips, it's still challenging. It's still very mysterious and difficult um, because each person is so different and everything, you know, these kinds of conditions are kind of mysterious. So, so for our family, it started out with worrying about a lack of speech. And then we realized that there were a whole bunch of other things for our son, Sean, it was a really heavy duty sensory overload. Um, So that's a thing that happens with many people on the spectrum that lights and sounds, smells, taste, touch, even emotions can just overwhelm people. And then, you know, we, as he got like to be three, four or five, we realized that he was having a hard time just interacting with the world in general. And he didn't have um, physical disabilities in the sense that he's strong and fast and can move around, but he did have what I came to learn would be called motor planning problems Mm -hmm. and executive functioning issues where he might want to be doing a certain thing and his body wasn't quite doing it the way he wanted. And so that was another added thing. So autism, you know, people have this idea of certain traits, but it's really a broad set of constellations of symptoms. And it's very complicated. And it's very complicated for each person. Uh, Just tossing in another that some families uh, realize their family member is dealing with seizures and seizure disorders. Well, we thought we had dodged that, but turns out that our son ended up at age 19 having major seizures. So it was another thing added on. And the other one that I'll toss in that's been one of the mysterious ones for a lot of our families is um, that there's a lot of biological issues, including what we eat and how our digestive system is working. That connects with how our brains and our moods and emotions work, right? So it's much, people are so much more aware of that now. But when our son was younger, they weren't. And so it took us many years to realize that our son like being pounding his fists face down on the ground or biting or headbutting people was because he was in a lot of physical distress because we didn't realize at the time that he was eating things that he had food allergies to and so over that time we realized that if we got rid of these things that he had food allergies to he he got rid of his headaches and he got rid of his frustration with those things so I think for every family, it's such an individual journey and it's very difficult and challenging, but it's not easy to figure these things out. And it takes years and years of just like, I always think of it as unwrapping uh, layers from an onion. And I'm sure with the various people that you've had talks with, you know, each person, you, you don't have an obvious answer to why you're having a particular challenge. It takes time to figure it out. Um, so anyways, we got to the point, I try to at the front end, bring it up to the point that um, as a lot of kids, including our son with any disability, but with autism, because there is the difficulty in communicating. And if you cannot communicate easily, you get frustrated. And so a lot of kids, when they get past 10 and into their early teen years, and you have a lot of hormones changing and puberty hits, We've heard lots of families 
like ours, having really challenging behaviors. And what happened with our son was not only was he lashing out and being upset and kind of, um, you know, headbiting and trying to bite people because he was frustrated, but he was also closing down from the world. He would literally, you know, close his eyes and his ears or hide under a blanket because everything was too much for him. So, you know, as a parent, you're desperately trying to help your family member, but we're just as lost as our son is. You know, we're trying to figure it out. There just wasn't enough information to make that easy. So for our family, what we were trying to do was find somebody who could help us just find one activity that our son could do that would help get him out in the world because our son was so overwhelmed that he was trapping himself in the house. And then we became trapped. It almost became impossible to even take him to school because he just did not want to go out and face the lights and the sounds and all of the things that um, the sensory world throws at us. So we were really trapped. By the time my son was like anywhere between 12 and 14, we were really almost housebound. And the I mean, poor us, but poor him. It was so hard for him and he couldn't yeah, explain a lot of things. So just so other families don't feel they're alone, I'm sure there are many families like us who worked with every imaginable. We had speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, nutrition therapists, play therapists, behaviors. We had everything and we had really good teachers and uh, we really tried and we had a good team of people, but we still felt very lost with a struggle and were really trapped at home and you know sometimes by the grace of whatever powers there are you stumble onto a person or some idea or thing that that really helps make a difference and for us it was a young teacher who had been a special education student himself and so he understood what it was like to deal with learning disabilities and to be separated in a different class and he was just a very sensitive young guy who by good fortune, our family connected with, and uh, he turned out to be a magical force in our son's life and in our life. And as we were trying to figure out a way to help our son and our family reconnect with the world and not be so isolated, because as we talked about in your podcast, episode 38, um, one of the biggest forces going against us is isolation. I think any of us in the disabilities world whether we're a caregiver or family member, whether we're the person who's affected by an issue, whatever our level of ability or communication skills are, we end up being isolated. And uh, that was something that we were really struggling with. So when we found this young teacher who was so gifted with special needs kids, he agreed to work privately with us. And we had seen him in a school environment working with students, including our son. We knew he had a special ability to connect with kids, even kids who didn't have a voice to speak with. And so we knew this young man would be helpful. And so he asked us, what is the one thing that you'd like to like, what should we focus on to try to help your son? I thought when I was a kid, what made me feel centered and calm and at peace when I was feeling riled up or upset about something, I'd go, oh, I would go for long walks out in the woods, which was very easy because I grew up in a place where there was nothing else to do. But that always was a calming force for me. I thought, oh, if I could get him to spend time out walking and moving his body and being out in nature, I think that would help. So I told this young teacher I wanted to take my son hiking. And 
that was our goal was to get him out hiking. And um, mm -hmm. long story short, with in a very short time with this young man's help, he helped us and our son overcome a lot of the challenges that were holding our son back. And it really opened him up to being able to step out in the world. And so we started going on hikes, which was just a very happy sort of miraculous like opening of the world for our son and for us and gave us a lot of hope that the things would get better uh, but within a few months of that this young teacher passed away suddenly and so um, in our journey that was like this big explosive bomb dropping where we had had such difficulties found something mm -hmm. hopeful and had this wonderful young man who we loved like part of our family suddenly, um, you know, drop dead literally if one of those undetected heart conditions that we read about in the news. So this happened with this young man. So we were devastated. So you think, oh, I mean, you could let that difficult situation on top of our already difficult situation right. sort of stop you in your tracks. But we decided, no, we have to pick ourselves up and keep going. So as sort of the legacy of that wonderful young teacher, we reached out and found other people that could help us in similar ways getting outdoors. And so just the little wrap up of our journey where we got to where we are now is that it led me to I wanted to offer something that is very simple. So I talk, I think any disability is very complex and, and autism is particularly complex. But um, I thought that hiking and spending time out in nature is a very simple thing that any of us can do. Where we came up to where we are now with, um, you know, we had such help from that young man helped my son get out in the world and our family get out in the world. And, you know, we've had to work at that and continuously work at that. We still have a lot of challenges, but I wanted to give back in some way to maybe offer other people a chance through a very simple act of just spending more time outdoors and get a little time in nature and fresh air that it's such a peaceful, calming thing for all the modern day stress we have. And that's why I put the hikingautism.com website out because it gives sort of helpful insights to people to feel a little bit like if you're having discouragement in your life that it's worth making the effort to just you know keep trying and part of that would be to just just look out your front door at the sunset maybe could lift people up some I think it also sends a very poignant message to anyone who's really overwhelmed and stressed out by their own journey being told by doctors and therapists mm -hmm. what what has to be done what can't work and whatever and you just presenting them with the simple solution which they already have access to mm -hmm. and no one has to give them no one has to sign a paper or give them some diagnosis they just have to walk out the front door it's also very encouraging that you were able to take a situation that this guy was able to be you and your family and turn around and pay it forward you know to encourage other people down the road you know that's very encouraging. Well, we try, and I appreciate you saying that because we, I try to think of it as uh, we were so devastated when this young man passed away because he wasn't just helpful 
to our son. I mean, to me, he was like an a, a extra brother or son, and and he sort mm -hmm. of embodied my sense of hope about not just our son, but I thought this young man had such brilliant insights that he was he had the potential. Some of the things he was his approaches I thought would be very helpful for any disabilities, and that he was really potentially going to be a big help in the special needs world about encouraging people to not give up and to keep trying. If you fall down once, you keep trying and you get up and you just don't give up. It was really a great message he gave us. So when I wanted did this website, I thought, well, maybe I can be giving a piece of his heart to the world. And it's a legacy that carries on of just don't give up. So I, as Mark was saying, uh, you know, some of our friends with disabilities may not be able to walk to the front door. They may have physical disabilities that prevent that. And so I have, um, you know, one little catchphrase that I like to think of with this, and I have a talk uh, with this name, it's called Just Get to the Trailhead. Maybe you're so discouraged. I mean, maybe you don't have a disability. Maybe you're just having a tough spot in life and you're feeling discouraged, you know, to just if you could just get yourself up out of your chair and take that one step and then another step and get to your front door or your back window and just look at the sunrise or the sunset or a bird landing on a tree if you stop and breathe for a moment in those spaces it can really make all the bad things turning your head stop and and just give you a breather that gives you a little more sense of hope and maybe the next day you'll go do something a little bit further so i like to say just get to the trailhead because with our son sometimes it was all we could do to get him out of the front door into the car and drive to a trailhead and then he would be stuck in the car and it would take an hour to try to get him out of the car because he was overwhelmed i was like wait we got here we got to the trailhead and then next time we'd get him to get out of the car and stand at the edge of the trailhead. And maybe we'd have to go home after that. But then the next time he'd walk. And so I just want people to know, you just don't give up, just take those steps. And if you have to ask for help, this is a theme I've heard in some of your other podcast episodes, it's hard to ask for help. But you know, sometimes it's very worth it to ask for help. And it might help you take that next step that leads to your next step going forward. And sometimes, I mean, I can speak from personal experience. Uh, you know, sometimes the thing that helps isn't actually the help, it's just the, the, the uh, um, process of asking for help, right? That'll yeah. free you from actually needing help. Yes, because you have more of a sense that if you needed it, someone's there. Um, and I I had a sense when we were going through the very difficult part where we were so isolated. Um, I felt that we were so isolated, there was no one else who understood what was happening with us or for our son. And I felt the need that someone else should stand witness, which is kind of an odd phrase to think about this, but... I want someone else to stand witness to what my son is going through so that we parents aren't the only ones who know what his hardships are. And it it lifted the burden off our shoulders a little bit to know that somebody else knew what our family was going through. Someone else understood our son. And not only did they 
see it and witness it, but they embraced us and our son and said, well, I'm, I'm here if you need help. So I, that the sense that someone else is in the same space with you, as you said, Mark, you could, knowing you can ask for help and that someone might be there if you need it, but maybe you don't really need the help, but knowing you could ask takes some of that burden off our shoulders, I think. There's a fine line, though. Uh, not everybody that people think needs help, actually needs the help or wants the help. They, they're fine on their own. They can accomplish a lot of things on their own. But the world is so, you know, people often think, you know, they're, they look different, they act different, they talk different, whatever. You know, they, they, they need help. We need to be the hero and help them. So there needs to be that, you know, respect there to say, oh, she just ask if they want help. Ask if they ask right. if they want they want you to take them somewhere. Ask if they want you to bring them something. Don't just do it and assume that, you know, who's not going to be thankful and have gratitude about it. But, you know, at the same time, you're kind of overstepping your bounds of mm -hmm. their personal space, right. you know. So it, it's a fine line. They, it just needs to be asked before people just assume and that's a tough thing. And I think we talked about that when we had our previous conversation. And I wanted to just toss in um, another episode that I think is super important for people in the whole picture of what you guys offer. And that was you had recommended that I see Jason Harris's episode, which was episode 31. Mm -hmm. I have it written down here, season two, episode yeah. 31. But I think Jason is a brilliant guy and he clearly has thought a lot about many different aspects, not just about autism type things, but the whole picture of just what you were talking about, Crystal, like how do we interact with each other um, with, if I'm the person who does have the disability or I'm the person who doesn't have that, what is the polite or proper way to interact? And each person with a disability is going to have a different reaction about that. And so it's mm -hmm. tough. It's tough to know quite how, so it it is like walking a tightrope to find the right approach to offering help. Um, and that's that, and I thought that Jason in his episode covered a lot of good, just thinking out loud about what do people need to do to help each other. But on that note, uh, it made me think of, I'm a parent. And so I'm in the position of trying to help someone. And so, it, you know, here's a quick little history of, for, for example, since I'm a parent of an autistic child, I'll talk about the autism. Mm -hmm. Back in 1949, it was, um, oh, what was his name? Skinner, I think it was, or Canner. There was a Dr. Canner who was the guy who had coined the term or talked about autism. And back at that time, and this was an idea that floated into the 50s and 60s, there was this concept that people with autism had it because their mothers were refrigerator mothers, that it was all the fault of mothers who were unloving and uncaring. Well, that's what they said in the 50s. Of course, that's tough. Now flip forward and you get this way. Oh, the parents shouldn't help too much because they're not allowing their kids to try to be independent. And that's all, there's more to that. I think that's true. But, you know, as a parent, 
just as if I were a person out on the street who sees somebody who might need help, but I'm not sure. Even with our situation being a parent, it's also tough to know how much to help, how to help somebody be more independent. And that's a very challenging thing, trying to help a loved one. Right. That's a whole nother level of challenging being a mom, you know, and knowing when to help because you uh, obviously your mom you want to do it all for them make their life easy but at the same time it you know it's a fine line of or to step back and let them make their you know just challenging mistakes and and because that's true for for any kid right i mean for our Mm -hmm. as i always put in quotes typically developing because i don't think there is such thing as typically developing every kid has challenges we all do all of us have issues that are difficult for us so another trend that I see in autism so I was also very another just kept me tapping into Jason's uh episode was he thought about a lot of these things and you guys had a great interchange about that and what it made me think of another trend in over the time with autism, when Sean's diagnosis came up in the year 2000, there was very little information available. So we were just grasping for straws for information. But at that time, there was a little stretch in there where um, it was all recovering your child from autism. And so that like, if you did the right things, your kid's going to get better and be normal and so would it so already as a parent you feel like a failure because your kids having a difficult time and then you get this message that you can recover your kid from autism and they can become normal and that was a very strong force running in the early 2000s and it was very hard for some of us we're like well we're doing all these things and my kid isn't fixed you can't fix him we can help him move forward but we couldn't fix him and then now you have another it leaps forward where there's the that was the autism awareness movement which shifted to autism acceptance and now it's the neurodiversity and these evolving ideas of and I think this applies to the general disability world that you guys are trying to connect people in hey people have these issues and we label them as disabilities but this is who this person is Let's help people do the best that they can do and give them the best tools for that and help them interact in the world the best way we can. And there's no easy answers for that. And for each person with a disability who has the wherewithal to communicate, they one person might not like having someone offer help. And another person might be mad that more people don't offer help. So it's very difficult. But I think that's what we all have to try to work towards, which I thought Jason was thinking a lot about, well, how can we come to a better understanding between people of how to get there? And then the last thing in that evolution about um, the current evolution about how people are thinking in society about autism is when it came up to this neurodiversity and people on the spectrum should be expected and respected for who they are. Well, that's great too. But what I think um, a lot of families were bringing up was, um, hello, for those of you who are very articulate and able to speak and function, maybe hold a job and, you know, write a blog about this or talk with people about this in a very articulate way, that's good for you. But for those of us 
where we have someone on the end of the spectrum where we're labeled as severely autistic or profoundly autistic, where even basic daily living functions need extra support. For my son, he's not able to do those things for himself. So that there also needs to be space and acceptance for those in the disability community who are really, really are not able to get through their daily living functions without someone to help them. So it's a tough balance. And that's why I appreciate your podcast and Jason's thoughts. Um, I thought he was tapping into these things. It's just very complicated. Um, but I don't know what you think about this predicting. Well, I already know, I guess. Um, but you know, uh, it all starts with the conversation. And if somebody who doesn't have a disability assumes that somebody with a disability needs help and it jumps in the rest to them, right, from whatever trouble they think is going they have, um, then that's already a, a sort of a loss. Right. If it starts with a legitimate, earnest conversation mm -hmm. about what the problem is and how can I help, then that's already like a hundred percent better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Than just assuming you know what the problem is and you've already diagnosed it in your expert opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, if somebody is brought into the world and the <laughs> the judgment is already that you're something is wrong with you mm -hmm. is it or if you were if you acquire an injury later even mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know there's something wrong with you no, my personality, that's who I am. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be fixed. That's who I'm meant right. to be. Right. <laughs> and, you know, yes, of course, you know, your doctor or researcher or whatever, you know, if you see something that can help me, fine, but don't try to change my genes. Don't try to right. give me a, medic a medication to, to make you know, change my DNA, stuff like that. Right, right, right. Don't do that, except, except my sensibility. And, and, and then for parents, that's a hard one because you want to give your child the medications and stuff to, to make their life easier. But it is just baffling me how from the beginning, there's something wrong with your child. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, uh, I just, oh. Yeah, the, and we, we touched on it in our previous conversation that the problem isn't really the problem. The problem is that we see it as a problem. You uh -huh. know? <laughs> yeah. Obviously, obviously there are, there are certain problems that can be addressed, but I mean, to try try and fix someone and force them to be something they're not because it makes people yeah. the rest of the world feel better. Right, right. That's not the way to go. 
right 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 that you know in the previous conversation we had you guys talk you say the word who, who is it making feel uncomfortable right so if it's the normal side of the things that oh well that oh gosh well I don't know how to interact with that person it makes me uncomfortable so I'll just ignore them so then people who are in a situation where we might look our family is a little different and our behavior is a little off the norm and I mean but the, but the truth is um part of that isolation is as a family you know if our son is going to be bouncing around or bumping into people which is something he does because his sense of space and his sense of his own strength uh, I mean this is just an example where we do have to be careful when we're out in a crowd that he doesn't you know bump little kids or little old ladies over because he sometimes doesn't have a sense of how strong or fast he is and he could he just that sense of space passing in space with people he could actually bump a person and knock them you know, maybe knock, knock them down. But so, you know, we have to be aware of making sure that he's not um, causing up danger for someone um, or danger for himself. He doesn't really understand electrical plugs or, you know, you have to be careful with it. So there's, it's a, it's very tough, you know, because there's the emotional part of how we're treated or treating somebody, but then there's sometimes safety issues um so it's it's just so complicated yeah it is it's also um it's also the issue of trying to trying to make someone like who's disabled not disabled like the rest of us to validate our own feelings about ourselves mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot of a lot of layers to the onion yeah. to peel away. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the thing is that I always think of autism as the ultimate multi-onion layer, onion peel situation. I mean, it took us years to find basic, because we did not want to use, like, I, and I know there are families where it really made sense to do medication that, I, I mean, that was a decision that made sense for them with their doctor and their family member. But for us, we wanted to figure out what were the underlying biological things that were happening and we figured out you know food allergies well we figured out what the food allergies were which took us a long time or other allergies it turns out that our son has a lot of allergies and when we dealt with those he stopped biting he stopped head biting he head butting he stopped um you know throwing himself on the floor and pounding fist because he was not in physical distress anymore from allergies but it took a very long time to figure that out and I think that's very and we talked about that the last time that sense of time passing so if you're an adult and your disability arrived in your life when you were an adult it's you also have a sense of the time passing of oh is my degenerative situation going to get worse quickly am I going to be able to stop this can I get it better? That's a sense of time you have as an adult when you have a disability fall into your life. But if you are born with something that people think can be at least improved, not fixed, but improved. So if you're an autism 
a parent with an autistic child, you do have a sense that there are things that you could do that could improve your child's life and help them. But again, it's always the sense of racing against time, racing against time. Uh, if I put certain things in place quickly enough, you know, maybe my child's uh, speech delay won't be such a difficulty for them. And so I just think there's so many things that, you know, so you're trying to unpeel those onion layers, which takes time and the time keeps slipping by, you know. So that brings me back to why my website, Hiking Autism, is this simple gift I try to give to people, which is that we all feel that kind of stress about, oh, am I working? You know, whatever your life is, regardless of disabilities, people feel stress about if they're doing enough in their life, are they falling behind on things? What are their relationships like? What's their job? What's their family? We all have stresses. So when we're in those stressful situations and we just, our head is in a swirl and we really can't focus on things because we're stressed out, it just really feels like the simple thing that stops the clock and allows us to just breathe. It really is for me and has been for a lot of people just to take that moment and just step outside and breathe the fresh air, watch a bird land on a branch, you know, watch the clouds float by. It gives you a minute to stop and feel at peace. And it, I feel like for me, my life has been so overwhelming and stressful trying to keep up with everything and to be helpful to people that for me, that moment of being outdoors, so I can stop and breathe and feel that I've centered myself, then I can get back up and go back in and, you know, keep trying. Yeah. Um, yeah. To, you know, just a minute of peace is helpful. I'm trying to remember. Uh, we were watching a show the other day, and um, the boy had autism. I was <laughs> The boy had autism, and he was going to a psychologist. And I think I know what you're talking about. So he was it that he had hearing problems. Yeah, he, yeah. Couldn't, he couldn't so hear. He couldn't hear, and he was acting out a yeah. lot. Um, because that was the only way he could communicate that there's this problem going on, and right. you know what he acted it out by hitting, by throwing things, and yes. stuff like that, because he had no language skill, right? There, right? But yeah. What I, what I was gonna bring up to that was that the the conversation, okay, the what the doctors told the parents yeah. when he was little was that do not teach your son ASL because oh. then he won't he won't regret and he, he won't want to talk. Yeah. And that brought up a conversation on us. It's kind of like, no, you give a child the the way the, the your, the tools the, yes but it was a it was a a tough decision i guess between okay we want him to learn language his mm -hmm. language skills and progress in that mm -hmm. but at the same time you're also keeping him stuck in a world on yeah. his own and yes. not giving him at least because the excuse was 
you're limiting him to a very small a world of people who only know Isaiah. But at the same time, you're no, you're limiting him right now right. to himself and right. maybe his inner family, you know? Yes. But, so it baffled me. If that's no. a typical thing in autism. Yeah, that, that is a really great, I just need a quick, did they realize he had hearing problems or was that they didn't realize it till later? They, oh, they realized he had hearing problems, but the doctors and therapists around the advice and parents um, don't teach him ASL or whatever because wow. um, you're going to inhibit his learning language. So this is a very good example. And we lived through this story 20 times over because we saw this example many times in our son's journey through school. So I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, for a parent, you're like, oh, well, who do we listen to? What should we do? You know, uh, so that is a super good example because in the autism world, sometimes, so, you know, you've got these kids who aren't speaking and we don't really know how much of the perceptive language, receptive language they have, like, you can't really tell. So for example, with our son, Sean, you could say, Sean, 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 really loudly. And we actually had his hearing tested because his hearing was fine, but he acted like a deaf person. And so with very small children with autism, sometimes we have children who appear to be deaf, but they're not. It's just that they're closing that part off, right? So first we had to figure out that, oh, he can hear, but we still couldn't understand how much of what we were saying to him that he understood. So you're wrapped in all of this mysterious, you don't know because they can't tell you. So it's very frustrating. But so when you go to the story that you're relating, what would happen with a lot of the kids on the spectrum is first, some teachers really encourage the kids to learn ASL because maybe using their hands and using a visual system that might just be the thing that worked for them and they could communicate and they would be less frustrated and they wouldn't be biting or throwing things or hitting because they could at least say something. So the ASL was one, but here's the other one that pops up in the autism world is, and I'm sure this probably comes up in some of the other areas with kids at schools with supportive devices, but particularly with the autism spectrum, we have a lot of kids who are giving augmentative, augmentative, uh, communication devices, which is basically an iPad. And on your iPad, you might have a little picture system where you could put a sentence together. So if the person can't say the sentence, you know, um, and for example, if you have motor issues with the way your mouth is working, you might be using a system like that to type or, but with the autistic kids, a lot of times it was a picture system. So they could put, you know, I, you know, want, and then you'd have a picture of the bathroom or food or whatever. Well, so then we had a mixture of opinions of no, 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 don't have them use that because they're going to rely on that and they'll never learn to speak. And so it was the same thing that you're talking about with the ASL. So we saw that with the ASL and with these sort of iPad type communication devices where people would say, no, don't do that. Or, oh, I don't want my kid to do that. I want them to learn to speak. Like suddenly they're just going to start speaking. Um, so our you know, I understand why people wonder and they worry because like you say, maybe a doctor or therapist is saying, don't do it. But my sense from all the kids we saw, including our own son is, give every tool you can give and see what clicks. 
and they will use that as a stepping stone. So we, my son probably still gets lumped into the category of being nonverbal. Well, he talks, he talks so loudly, we have to tell him to be quiet. <laughs> um, so, but he still gets in that category because his functional language is still so behind that it's very hard. Like he couldn't explain a feeling or, you know, he can say he's hungry or needs to go to the bathroom, but he wouldn't be able to have a conversation like this. But absolutely, uh, he didn't do ASL, but he had one of those devices and various systems using pictures. So I, my suggestion, if anybody watches this is give your family member or your loved one every opportunity to have a tool that might work for them. If it ends up not working, that's fine. But you might find that it leaped them forward with something that they just needed that sometimes it's a trigger uh, in your head or maybe with um, a degenerative muscular situation as well. It doesn't have to be autism or a speech and communication issue or a sensory thing. It could be anything that we're dealing with where you find some little thing that clicks in a good way and helps us move forward. Um, which is my other, besides the just get to the trailhead, I all, almost, a lot of my little insights things end with keep putting one foot forward because I just tell people, you just get up in the morning as hard as your life looks, you wake up, you get up and you put your feet on the floor and you stand up and you put one foot out and take that first step of your day. You just have to keep doing that. And and you keep putting that next foot forward because you might stumble onto something that's going to help you make more progress than you thought you were or help your child make more progress than you thought. We just, just don't give up as my, but also not to get discouraged as you guys have brought up a couple of times, the thought that a doctor or a therapist or a nurse or a teacher could be saying, oh, well, you're never going to do this or this isn't going to work having that or just giving you a label of something well you're doomed to this because you've got that well we don't want to be like that either so um i just think we have to that's again back to the moment in nature you have that moment where you're just in this one place for this one moment and you think well here i am i'm alive i'm breathing and this is who i am right now and then i can move forward from that point you know from a moment of just peacefully accepting who i am and where i am right now and it gives you a little bit of breathing room to say okay i can face the next challenge right i think uh back to an early point that you mentioned you know everything has its ups upsides and downsides pros and cons you know going back to the early 80s early 90s whatever uh when there was no world wide web as we have it now mm -hmm. and Somebody in your situation or even someone with a disability would have definitely felt very isolated. And that's bad in its own right to some degree. But then now we're suffering from the reverse problem where it's uh, there's just this overwhelm of information yes. and it's so stifling because mm -hmm. Number one, you don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And everywhere you turn on the internet, someone's telling you you're doing it wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah, right? totally. And it's just when you get back to nature and when you 
isolate yourself like that, you can drown out all those voices and hear the, the voice truth, maybe. So mm -hmm. it's, it's extremely refreshing to go to a website that talked about, yeah, some of your shows and your journey, but also gives you, gives people advice and tools about nature and how to, you know, make it a little easier for everybody. And so it's nice to see, uh, like he was getting to that, you know, the overwhelming uh, internet yeah. saga that's what it is now um, yeah. is annoying. Uh, yeah. That I mean, it's great that it exists, but on another level, it's so it's nice to have a, a, the what it's meant for a connection and being able to get people with soft advice and uh, understanding and like building communities and connecting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I feel like it's meant for originally it was supposed to be meant for just that, you know, keeping us all connected but people have made it into something it's not supposed to be. Right. Well, you know, from what Mark and you're saying, Crystal, the great example of what you're saying is there we were, I mean, completely lost in the desert with these things that were happening with our son. You might find one article or what, it was just, we were so lost. And, and the advice we got was mixed and you'd get like, all these mixed, the, the little bit of information was all very conflicting. And we were already devastated trying to help our son, you know, be able to function in the world. I mean, he could barely go out even as a little kid, he was so overwhelmed. So you're grasping for some kind of helpful information. And then fast forward, as Mark says, here we are in the modern world and you're just bombarded and you're drowning in it. And so the example that I see in the autism world, which I, it, it makes my heartache now, there's all these support groups. There must be a hundred or a thousand Facebook-based autism mom support groups or autism family support groups or autistic individual support groups. And there's so much information. It's so overwhelming. And once in a while, I'll pop in and I'll read uh, something that a mom with maybe a newly diagnosed three or four-year-old is writing about. And I say, oh my gosh, here is this mom in a Facebook group with a thousand other moms who can share information, but her situation is just as challenging and just as difficult to overcome. There is no easy answer for this problem she's writing in tears about. And my heart just aches because she's got a thousand people giving her advice and there's so much more information available now, but she's still, you know, in this very challenging, heart-wrenching spot with her child. And it's just not, e just because we have more information does not make it easy. And so what I've found myself um, doing when I see things like that, I go, you know, there's not a thing I can add to those Facebook mom things. I can't help anybody with that. The, the, the onion layers of each kid whose mom is writing about is too much. I can't help them with that. So the only thing that I found that I can do because it's simple is not only do we have, you know, so as you're saying, Crystal, you know, that my website is called hikingautism.com, but I think it should be called, um, 
you know, outdoor upliftingness for people with life challenges, because all those little insights things are just a way, I think people isolate themselves because we all, oh, we're not supposed to tell anybody that we're having a hard time. We're not supposed to reveal that our life is challenging or that somebody just died or my kid has a disability or I just found out I have a devastating, you know, illness or whatever it is. Uh, people think they're not supposed to share those things. So I think, you know, my life, my life's pretty challenging. I was like, you know what? I'll say it out loud. And every week I'll say, you know what? I'm having this big challenge, but here's what I'm going to do to try to make it a little better. I hope yours can be a little bit better too. So it's not really about autism. It's about anybody with life challenges. Uh, but I can't offer anything for all those complicated problems. Even though I've been through all those things, I can't help those moms on an individual basis for their kid, but I can invite them on a hike, you know, now not just the website, but the autism society locally here asked me if I could help lead other families on hikes. So every month or so we offer a hike and other families whose kid might've been like mine, uh, you know, trapped and not able to we have families of all different ages show up and just we just go for a walk together. And boy, it's just so helpful. We don't even have to talk about what the autism problems are. We're just taking a walk together, whatever level everybody is. And it's, it's kind of funny, but I don't have anything more complicated that I can offer that's helpful because each person's issue is so uh, challenging and difficult. Um, but it, then it makes me bounce back to why I think Jason Harris's episode 31 is a good one, because I could tell he was thinking at many different levels about all of these issues of how do people in the world with disabilities communicate with others? How can the, how can the whole world be together in this? And I thought, wow, it's such a complicated thing that having one smart person think about how can we look at that in different ways. I was very encouraged to uh, hear your talk with him because it is so complicated. Yeah, I think he, oh, it was extremely interesting. I think he's thought a lot about a lot of things for a long time. He's had the opportunity Sorry, he's had the opportunity and experiences, lived experiences with autism. Yeah. And, you know, thank goodness he's at the, he's able to communicate them. Yeah. The ability to articulate that is so mm -hmm. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It, it certainly helps people that are neuro, neurotypical or neurodiverse be able to think about issues, you know, on a different, whole different level, you know, and he's, he had some amazing ideas and perceptions about every, a lot of things. Yeah, I thought so, and I just thought that, uh, because he was coming at from the autism world, but he also really, uh, tied that in so well in the whole bigger picture with you guys in that discussion, so I, I really appreciated that one in particular. Yeah. Uh, I think so. <laughs> um, well, that was uh, it's certainly nice of you to join us again, Lisa. Um, and uh, yeah, we look forward to reading more on your website and your 
uh, Facebook posts about autism and how you're sort of taking the challenge head on through hiking and uh, anything else? Um, yeah, we'll, we'll keep in touch with you. We'd love to be able to do something again. And it's a really good interview. Yeah, yeah, well, thank you guys. And again, just as we stumbled into an extra episode just from our introductory chat, I you know, I'd always be happy to collaborate on anything you guys uh, wanted any kind of connection with, because I just think your uh, site deserves more, you know, just exposure so people could hear the various messages from people. And I applaud you for your great work in helping people open up the world. Thank you. Thank you. We're working on lots of work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Lisa. All right. Have Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.